everybody. Mike, Erie, Tim Stafford, um, and the Vox community here welcoming you to the Vox podcast. We're so glad you're tuning in today. And um, we, I think we have a president. I mean, we have a president, but I think, I think. <laughs> Do we, though? He, that well, one's kind of gone, like, missing. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's still, it's still, um, it's still relatively obscure, confused, and uh, breathtaking, all that is happening in our world. Uh, but, you know, one thing that is constant, my friend, is our uh, mediocrity. And so we are here again <laughs> to... <laughs> If we, bless, can hold a, if, we, if we can hold a space, yes, it's one of mediocrity. Yes, we are here to bless your ears with uh, some English words spoken by male <laughs> voices, and uh, one of them very nasally. Um, we got we got some good news, uh, oh. Tim. I want to let you know a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we got some good news. Uh, we have a friend named Brenda, and Brenda yes. is a bit of a marketing guru, stud, a rock star, if you will. And um, we have been saying we have to change the name of the podcast because we're getting confused with Vox Media. And, um, you know, that's not a good thing, uh, probably for them. <laughs> um, we, so, so she texted us last night and she said, hey, I've got a new name. For the podcast, but she wouldn't tell us what it was. So we we spent some time guessing. <laughs> and um and so here were some of our guesses. And uh, fortunately the answer was no, none of these are the new name, but we thought we'd give it a <laughs> shot. Tim struck out with uh he, he let out with Timcast. I think um, it's a good it's got a ring to it. It's got a total ring to it. Um I I countered with jackassery which i think is a great word and there was there was some momentum towards that yeah i think we embody that um <laughs> and then and then we started riffing on the very unoriginal idea that pod and god rhyme so <laughs> my my next guess was pod save the queen tim countered with pod help us all pod help us all to which I replied, in pod we trust. And I said, what if pod was one of us? Yes. Who said? 90s reference. 90s reference. What was her name? Something Osborne. Joan Osborne. Jorn. Joan. Jorn. Jorn. I like Jorn. I think it was Jorn, Jorn Osborne. Jorn is kind of cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, my personal favorite was our pod is an awesome pod. Obscure 90s. That's, that's a really reference. good one. Um. <laughs> And and then I went off the pod topic into um, cultic yep. musings. I like that yes. one. <laughs> and then suboptimal. That was the, that was the one. That was the one. Pod we really, of wonders. Pod of wonders. Uh, pod bless America. Uh, Pods in the details. Oh, pod is not in control. That was one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the good news is that we'll have a name. Um, and none of those will be it, but we <laughs> don't know what, what the name is. Yes. The other good news is that we had, um, four people join our Vox Patreon team. So when it's so rad, uh, it, it is, it is amazing, uh, that, that, uh, people are so kind and generous, but I want to thank Colton 
and Natasha and David and Jeff, or as I call them in my brain, Hefe, um, <laughs> for joining our podcast, our, our uh, podcast Patreon support team. Um, if you are interested, you can go to patreon.com and uh, type in Vox Podcast or Mike Erie um, and uh, find us there. Or uh, we're on, uh, you can go to our website, voxpodcast.com and um, and find you. There, there's also another platform we use called Tithely. All of those things are tax deductible. Giddy up. Today, Giddy Tim. up. Yes. Um, Tim really felt like the hypocrisy episode was uh was spoke to him very directly and uh so when he wanted to spend some more time on it so i pleaded uh, <laughs> he did not <laughs> but we were um i've been thinking um because one of the points we made last episode was you know jesus introduces this word hypocrite in a way that is a pejorative um, re- referencing religious pretending, and it, it's one of the it, it's it's one of the the very small group of things that can actually exclude us from kingdom life. Hmm. And um, and Jesus has he, he as I was thinking about it, he spends a lot of time warning his followers about this. And so we thought what we would do is is riff a little bit off of. A sermon on the Mount into another place where Jesus uses this word, um, and he he accompanies that that use with a pretty severe warning, because um, well, as we'll see, I mean, it, this is you know for us it, to be a hypocrite is just to be human. Um, for Jesus, this it's a bit more serious than that, and so I think there's some really good lessons for us to kind of expand this this theme of hypocrisy and it also ties into some sermon on the mount stuff we'll get to in uh in several weeks from now uh, so we do not have the voice of an angel today we have the voice of yours truly reading from luke chapter let's see i think it's 13 i think it's uh no is it 12 uh yeah it's 12 sorry all right expert i'm an expert on the bible this is luke 12 (laughs) right here all right tim are you ready i'm ready the voice of a non-angel meanwhile when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying be on your guard against the yeast of the pharisees which is hypocrisy all right now in biblical terms, yeast symbolizes, it's a metaphor for a little thing that infects a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of yeast causes dough to rise. And so if you take, so so uh, the idea is it's something that feels small or looks small, but once it's in, it kind of takes over the whole thing. And so he uses this picture uh, to describe the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Um, he says, be on your guard. So be vigilant against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So what the, what the Pharisees are doing, and he'll say this in another place, do what they tell you to do. Just don't do what you see them doing. Like they right. actually taught uh, in some ways, the law it, in very, very appropriately and corrected it, inter, uh, in, interpreted it correctly, excuse me, 
But um, but there was this duality. And so remember hypocrisy, that, that word comes from Greek theater where um, the actors would wear masks to portray a different character. And so the the duplicity of the Pharisees was wearing a religious mask. He'll yeah. he'll say it in another place, right? You your lip, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so be on your guard against hypocrisy. Um, be be constantly vigilant against this, right? And because the thing about hypocrisy is the better um, the better you get at it, the better you look to everybody else. So it's the sicker you are with hypocrisy, the more healthy you look to everybody, right? Because everything <laughs> looks on looks great on the outside, and you'll do anything for the sake of appearances. But that right. but that that is is deceiving, and so it's this weird, twisted. Like the sicker you are, the better you look on the outside. To the game ultimately crumbles uh, crumbles. And that's and your Jesus, only reward is the receipt of that. Yes. That was Jesus's point last time. Yes, yeah. if it's if it's the appearances that you are interested in, the appearances is all that you will get. Yeah. But then he says, "Be on guard against the use of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight." What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. In other words, and I mean, you know, this is kind of the no-duh statement. <laughs> Why should you be worried about hypocrisy? Well, Jesus says, because it's because truth will be shown for what it is. And one theologian I, I like describes the day of judgment as, as the light of truth coming on. Hmm. So that all appearances... All, all words, all songs, all, you know, posturing, all of that disappears. And the only thing that's left is what's real and what's true. And think about that for a second. It's a little scary. Yeah. I mean, the judgment, at least in this conception, is just the revelation of what's real. Yeah. You know, in, in all of this. In, in this culture we've built, in the churches we've created, right? It's just yep. a revelation of what's true. All the yeah. ways we've deluded ourselves, all the ways we've pretended, all the ways we've um, performed, all of that shown to be what it is. Whoa, that to me. Now, now it's funny because that to me used to be terribly threatening and now it's kind of invigorating. Right. Um, but that's because of, uh, you know, my own sort of growth and issues and pretending and, you know, getting away from all of that. But, but the idea is that all appearances and discrepancies and words are burned away. And the only thing that's left is what's real. <laughs> oh, so Jesus tells his disciples, you have to be constantly vigilant about this duality. The, the difference between how you appear and how you look and what you are and who you are. And he says, because ultimately everything will be shown for what it is. Now, I think there is a great deal of that that happens in the world today, right? We're yeah. seeing these yes. unveilings, right? And I think God's, and actually, I don't think that's a form of God's judgment. I think that's actually sometimes his mercy um, right. when he interrupts and um, draws attention to things. Uh, but we're seeing a great unveiling 
you know, in the hearts of many of us who have led the church, um, even more, I mean, just even this week, I mean, just more and more unveiling of deceit and abuse and uh, lust and adultery and all those sorts of things. And so it's one of those, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, everything's going to be made known. And some of that happens now, right? But then Jesus, then Jesus takes it up a notch. He turns it up to 11. As he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Yikers. Now, now what it, the cons we and and we're doing we're violating kind of the way to read the Bible because in the context here, Jesus is going to be talking about um, what happens when the disciples are persecuted and want are tempted to deny right uh, Jesus. And so he's going to talk about um, you know if you were ashamed of me before people, I will be ashamed of you. He's, he's stuck. He's the context is persecution. All right. And he then immediately talks, you know, he talks about, you know, be afraid and then talks about how loving God is and you're more valuable than sparrows and God knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. And so, <laughs> so we got to do a little bit of work here to understand what Jesus is saying. But f- so first he says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Now in the context of persecution, it's do not be afraid of those who can put you to death. All right. Mm. So he's talking about denying Jesus as a way to save your life. And he's saying, he's saying, do not be afraid if someone takes your life, be afraid rather of denying Jesus because Jesus actually is the one who has authority to take out the trash. When he talks about hell, remember hell isn't a metaphor uh, for something. It was an actual Valley Gehenna. We've talked about it on the podcast years ago. It was an actual place that uh, was known in the Old Testament for child sacrifice and great immorality. And at some point in the New Testament era, became associated with this bur- this garbage dump. Right. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of debate over how far back that reference goes. But this valley that Jesus references was known for, for great wickedness and as a, as a, refu- a place of of refuse, not refuge, but refuse. Right. <laughs> and so it may so, have been refuge for some. Yes. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if you're tempted to fear the authorities that can kill you, that's all they can do is kill you. Right. But, but, but I'll tell you the one that you should respect. The one that knows every hair, the numbers of hair on your head, and that, that, that knows every sparrow that falls to the ground, and you're much more valuable than sparrows, you should, should respect him. Yeah. And because what's going to happen in the, the coming uh, uh, unveiling when the light of truth is turned on is that some things will be shown to be aligned with and congruent with the kingdom and some things will be shown to not be aligned with or consistent with the kingdom. And those things are consigned to the cosmic trash heap. Now, lots of debate about what that means. You know? I like that name, though. Yeah. Well, the it's cosmic just, trash heap. Yes. That's our new podcast name. 
<laughs> hey, folks, welcome to uh, the Cosmic Trash Heap. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, the idea is simply this. I mean, Jesus is just, and this is consistent with everything he teaches. There is a day coming that has now come and will come where things will be shown to be what's true. No more posturing, no more pretending, no more saying, Lord, Lord, right? It's like, we're going to know what's congruent with what God's doing in the world and been doing in the world and what's not. And his point in the context of persecution is obvious. Don't deny me, right? In order to save your life. But in, in the context of hypocrisy, the point remains because hypocrisy is like yeast. Once you start living that duality and, and you, you're, you're using energy, right, to maintain the illusion and the fiction, um, then, then slowly you turn into trash. You turn into the kind of yeah. thing that is no longer aligned with the kingdom of God. All right? Does that make sense so far? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm that's... Tracking. So, well, so the, I wanted to go to that verse just to say, this is how seriously he takes it, right? Yeah. We all hate hypocrisy. And the people who've left the church hate the church for the hypocrites yeah. that are in it. And I want you to understand, more than anything else, Jesus hates hypocrisy more than you do, mm-hmm. right? And, and it will all be made right. It will all be shown for what it is. The problem is that we're guilty too. And so, and so no, we don't get to shine the light of truth on everybody else and are exempt ourselves. Right. Um, we, <laughs> the shine, the truth, uh, the light of truth is shined on us too. And it is there that we find the version of Western Christianity that we have been handed is ready made to be an accomplice to the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Mm. Because the gospel we were handed, at least I was, I don't know about many of you, was the gospel of the courtroom analogy. It was the legal gospel that said, you are guilty, God is just, God finds you uh, out of his justice. I mean, literally, this was the the gospel. God is a judge, you were speeding, he finds you $100 because he's just, but because he's loving, he offers to pay the price for you. And all you have to do is receive that gift, and um, you are then justified before God. You are right. declared not guilty. And that was, that's the great courtroom analogy. Jesus is your lawyer. God is the judge. The spirit is the jury. The spirit is your advocate. Jesus is the one who <laughs> takes the punishment for you. There you so go. he's the victim. Right, you're the guilty one. I mean, it, but it, yeah, I mean, you're just even pointing out like how nonsensical it gets, and, and, it, and it betrays the image of an angry God taking out his anger on Jesus, who steps forward to say, "Father, don't hit them," you know, "I'll take it instead." Now, obviously, these are caricatures, right? But they're very popular uh, imaginings of what the message of Jesus actually is, and if that's what you think the message of Jesus is then all you have to do in that telling is believe this legal courtroom drama took place and it doesn't matter one damn bit about how you live the rest of your life. Yeah, because it's all about being avoiding the cosmic trash heap. Yes, and the way you avoid it is by accepting this legal transaction that takes place 
But that's right. all you have to do. Yeah. And so, first of all, we want to say that the legal transaction bit is used by Paul. I mean, that language is used by Paul in Romans. Um, but what's happened, so it communicates an important part of the truth, but only part of the truth. Because Paul uses other images elsewhere, right? Of, of reconciliation, of redemption, um, I mean, uh, adoption. So this is one picture of many that Paul uses. The problem is we have elevated the one picture into the whole picture. And the problem is with that is that the one picture leaves no room for our active participation in growing into be more like Jesus. Right. So it, it's ready made for hypocrisy because all I have to do is pray a prayer, right? It totally fits into my consumer mentality of getting the best deal at the lowest possible price, <laughs> yeah. right? I avoid the cosmic trash heap by praying a prayer when I was six and I don't have to change my life whatsoever. Right. Who wouldn't say yes to that? Yeah. The damning part of it is that then we assure people that they're safe. But when the light of truth comes on for the cosmos, Jesus is very, very clear. It does not matter what you have said, and it doesn't matter what you have prayed. It absolutely has mattered what you have done. Yeah. And so, so you have in our gospel ready-made support for hypocrisy, and that's why it's, it's totally tolerated. Right, because how could you how could you not be a hypocrite if what you're told is every sin's forgiven, pray the prayer, and then you can have nothing to do with Jesus the rest of your life? Well, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? What are you thinking, yeah. man? I can see the wheels turning over there. Oh, I'm I I have a couple different questions, but I'll ask them at the end. I don't want to derail you. I, I'm curious where this that particular thing came from the <clears throat> that idea of praying the prayer and just the model that we've been living with for a, a while now. I mean, yeah. it, pre, it predates us. Yeah, it's a fascinating idea. Um, and then even what you just said with linking that together with what you said about Romans that Paul has different. He doesn't just talk about that. He talks about that, but he talks about these different things. Why we latched onto one of them and held it so tightly. And yeah. then made this transactional right. thing that it, is like, and we all went to youth camps that you did, did the altar call, you pray the prayer to invite something into you. Yeah. And then like, all right, sweet, let's go get hot chocolate and celebrate or whatever. Yeah. And, and you know what? God's so magnificent. Sometimes that works. Yeah, but it makes me think about the uh, Gombas, the Great Commission stuff. Like, you right. should be weary of uh, yes. you should be weary of, of riding that line with people because you're signing up for a lifetime of discipleship after that. Right. Then that scenario makes sense. Like, yes. yes, let me introduce you to this person named Jesus. But there's not a period at the end of that sentence. It's right. you know the first sentence of a, a long right. essay. Right. To use English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Good English, prof. <laughs> Well, well, and, and, and that's, you know, I mean, I've been, I mean, we even have terms for this, like rededicating your life to Christ. Totally. Right. Or I've fallen away or I've backslidden. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's like there's this barometer, you know? And um, now see, I, I know people will wonder, okay, I thought we were saved by grace through faith. 
And now you're talking about living. But if you look closely at Jesus, I mean, Jesus will say this over and over and over. Uh, he'll say things like, hey, your mother and brothers are here uh, for you. And he'll say, who are my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of God in heaven is my father and mother and brother and sister. I always wonder how awkward that was for his mother. Oh, totally. Like, oh, yeah, totally, Jesus. Oh, man. Yes. But he says, I mean, he'll say in the Sermon on the Mount, many will call me Lord, and I will say that I never knew you. Mm -hmm. Right? So so the the better picture uh, than the legal sort of picture, to me anyway, and, and again, I mean, we're into such deep theological waters right now. That, I mean, there's so much around atonement and atonement theory and how it is that Jesus saves us. But one of the pictures that's, that's used by Paul and Jesus is this idea that, that things will be revealed for what they are. The fire, Paul uses fire. Jesus just talks about everything that's been concealed will be brought out into the open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of our hypocrisy will be exposed. But the reason uh, we're to worry about it is because it's cancerous. It can turn us into trash. And, um, and not only that, but it, when, when, you know, it, it can shrink us and inhibit the, the growth of Jesus in us uh, because we've just been taught to settle for se- uh, salvation from the fire. Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of all there is. Yeah. And so the better context in my mind is a context that would have been assumed by Jesus's listeners, uh, but it is um, it is the the context of covenant, um, which is a relational concept. Now it had legal implications, but it was primarily relational. Right. Um, see, in the courtroom analogy, all that all that matters judgment is just a, t- a theology quiz. In the courtroom analogy, right. Um. In in the in covenant, um, how do you know you're married? Was it because you you said wedding vows? Um, in my case, twenty years ago, uh, and then I had nothing to do with my wife. Am I married? If that's the case, <laughs> right? If right. if I said wedding vows and then never did anything, never honored, cherished, loved, never did a thing, am I married? Right. Well, in the yeah, legal I'm- courtroom analogy, yes, I am. Right. But in the covenantal context, no, I've never been. Right? Because I never once uh, lived into the covenant that I, I made right. my wife. And, and we talked about that from the flip side with your analogy before that walking into it, um, you know, uh, making that proclamation or doing the ceremony just because you walk out of the ceremony as a married man because of the legal document, what you did does not mean that you've fully embodied or understand <laughs> no. what that is. You're starting a journey. Like you said, it's, it's not a period. It's the beginning of an essay. Yeah. Right. You're in. So salvation, that's why Paul never, never just talks about saved as something that happens in the past. Yeah. He talks about yeah. it in all three tenses. You have been saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. Right. Yeah. It's like marriage. I have been married. I am married and I will be married. Right. There's not a day where that where that those vows don't shape my life. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So there's this so so in the courtroom analogy faith and we t- we talked about this with Matthew Bates, right? Um mm. faith is 
I just believe and receive the thing that Jesus did for me. And certainly there's a part of that that's true and absolutely doctrine matters. And of course, all of those things, but, um, we, we've begin, we've begun to understand that faith is allegiance. Faith is commitment. Faith, right? Faith, faith is trust. And, and so, I mean, you can just simply ask all the really dumb questions. Um, if I believe that the airplane will fly and I believe that airplanes are safe, but refuse to get on one, what do I believe? <laughs> right. Right. That they're not safe. Right. I can tell you, I love you over and over and over again. But if I abuse you, cheat on you, insult you, demean you and belittle you, do I love you? Right. Right. Now this is basic stuff, but somehow when it comes to Jesus, it gets all flowery and theological and we just sort of abstract it out. Francis Chan has this great analogy. He's, he, uh, he was talking about Simon says, right? Simon says, uh, touch your head. And you touch your head. Simon says, you know, jumping jacks. Do jumping jacks. You do jumping jacks. And then you just say, okay, now stop. And if you don't say Simon said before it um, and you stop, you're out, right? That's how the game works. But it's a whole different game when it comes to Jesus said. When it comes to Jesus said, right, we study it, memorize it, learn it in the original language, have groups uh, to talk about it. But it's fine if it doesn't get done. Right? right, love your enemies. Optional. It'd be like me telling Nate, my oldest, "Hey, go clean your room," and Nate coming back downstairs and saying, "Dad, guess what? I memorized what you said." In fact, <laughs> I called a couple of my friends, and we're starting a six-week study. What does it what mean it would, to clean? Yeah, what does it mean to clean my room? And and then and then. Um, we're, we're going to have a, um, uh, a gathering together to celebrate what it would be like if the room were clean. Right. Or and, just walking and, around being like, Hey, I live in a home where my dad wants me to clean my room and then just continually spreading that information without ever cleaning your room. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so, you know, as a father, I would simply say, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? <laughs> <laughs> Right? Which I imagine you've said at least once, right? Oh, only to my what? No, I've never said that. <laughs> um, so so um, there's a very important book that um, has come out by a man named, I think it's John Barclay, uh, about grace. And uh, it's on my Kindle. Um, oh, the title of it's eluding me right now. Uh, so I don't have it handy. But it's... Um, it's one of the most important theological studies on grace. And one of the points it makes is that the theological concept of grace includes reciprocity and allegiance. So that grace is not about deserving, but grace is about, once you've received grace, um, there's a, there's a uh, repayment's not the right word, but there's an acknowledgement of it and a paying it forward sort of thing. And, um, and, and so I think part of what confuses us is we think faith just means believing in this legal transaction. A grace just means God did it because it loves me, but grace makes no demands on me at all. Um, 
And that's just not true. That's just not the way the words used. That's not congruent with the teachings of Jesus. It is impossible to commit your life to Christ and have nothing to do with him the rest of your life and think somehow when the light of truth comes on that you're found to be one of his children. That's right. just not how it works. And we've bought into that for so freaking long. Hypocrisy's just assumed. You know, and so the gospel, the gospel we preach, right? And the courtroom analogy doesn't lead to discipleship. Why would it? I'm forgiven for everything I'll ever do. Awesome. Right. The gospel that, that Jesus, <laughs> yeah, the gospel that Jesus and Paul preached, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, Paul preached the gospel of Jesus's lordship, which was just the Greek way of talking about the kingdom. Um, that is it leads us quite naturally into uh, discipleship because G- what it means to have Jesus as Lord or as King is to actually do what the king and Lord have said to do. Right. So it doesn't nullify grace because none of us deserve this. None of us fulfill this rightly. And as you've said, the gospel is that we receive all the blessings in Christ prior to our working them out. Mm. Right? We received my identity as a married person the day I was married, but then I work out my marriage as a right. married person, not to become married, but because I already am married. Yeah. Right? So I'm not doing this to become a Christ follower. I'm doing it because I already am one. And that's yeah. why the test for those who really follow Jesus or not is fruit. Right. Right? Because a Look how it all connects and makes sense. <laughs> well, not always. But I felt like this was a super important conversation to have about the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is going to yeah. start confronting us with really harsh sounding statements about whether or not you do his will. Right. And we've been taught that that's optional. And Jesus never says that. He never says that. Not once does he say that. Yeah. The, the, the message and the mystery and the majesty of the gospel is that it's given to you ahead of time for you to work out. But if you don't work it out, you've never truly received it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's not, it's not complicated stuff. We, we abstract it in all these weird categories. But I just I find applying it to the the covenant of marriage is so helpful for me to stay grounded. No, I think that's a really good one. You know, it it's, makes a lot it's, of sense. It's the best I got. Or even even to be a child of somebody, right? To be a child of God. I mean, all of that is powerful, powerful imagery that conveys uh, something much broader than just the courtroom analogy. And hallelujah, we are guilty before God. And, and Jesus is put forward in some substitutionary way to take the powers and the principalities and to disarm them as it pertains to my individual uh, guilt. But I don't know how it works. And that's not all that happens yeah. there. And so, so for us, I mean, I don't even know, I, I don't know how to share the gospel anymore. Hmm. Um, be, you know, it's like, well, if, if somebody said, okay, so what's the message of Jesus? And I would say, well, it's something like this. God created the world and everything was good. Um, he created human beings to be image bearers, to have a dignity and a worth and a value and a cooper- cooperative partnership with God that's different than the animals. And that, that the human beings were to exercise benevolent sovereignty on behalf of God over the created order. 
But instead of, of doing that, we handed our rule over to, instead of to God, to ourselves and ultimately to creation itself, where um, evil has now entered the world, however it is you understand it, but there's an echo, we all feel it, that the world could be so much better than it is and it should be better than it is, but we know it's not. And we cry out in so many different forms of, cry out for so many different forms of justice because we know there's something deeply wrong. Yeah. And what Jesus, or what, excuse me, what God has done is he has visited planet Earth uh, with clothes on in the form of Jesus of Nazareth to show us what it is to be human and to show us what it is um, to be a part of this thing that God is doing to reclaim the whole planet. And so he is looking for volunteers to who are compelled by the person of Jesus to embrace his work for themselves personally, but to embrace his mission for the world. Yeah. Uh, because where this whole thing goes is the, re- the restoration of all things, not some disembodied heaven, not some disembodied hell. There's a restoration of all things coming and not everything fits. Not everything that has happened in earth's history fits into that restoration. I don't know how that works. All I know <laughs> is what we do here matters. Hey, that's the best I got. Yeah. And that opens up so many questions. Totally. <laughs> yep. As it should. Yeah, no, I think that the um, the participation aspect of everything is is so compelling, and um, that faith, and and that's why I think the marriage analogy is such a solid analogy for this, like that you have to wake up every morning and continually choose into the covenant that you have made. Yep. Uh, and it's only in choosing in that, and you know exercising grace and asking for grace and all that kind of stuff that you have a successful marriage on a daily basis, I think is such an interesting, uh, more tangible way of looking at that. Cause this idea of unveiling you, I, you, when you were talking at the beginning of this, that popped in my head and then you went there cause this year has felt like a great unveiling. Like it's yes. been apocalyptic in that way where so yes. much has been stripped away and shown for yep. what it is. And then I started thinking about, what is that MLK quote where he, he talks about the moral arc of the universe bends toward bends justice. T- yeah. I think that's interesting too. Cause the, that idea that, that, um, that that is the natural bent, but things are working against it. And there are these unveiling moments that show how things are being unveil the things that stand against that. Yeah. If that makes sense, I think it's an interesting because yep. then it show it continu- that unveiling continually shows you a your own hypocrisy or your own yeah. uh, ineptitude or your own faults for not doing things or choosing against it, but it also shows how it's happening on like a societal level, that's right, uh, a national right. level, an international right. level, and even an environmental level, yep. and everything gets unveiled and shown. And then it, if it is bending towards justice, it shows that these things are our choices and some of these other things are working against that bent. Yeah. And you see that in the unveiling yeah, and then you have to participate right. in it or it doesn't. That's right. So, so the practical ethic that this leads to, of course, is summed up by Jesus and love God, love neighbor. But let's flesh out love neighbor. Yeah. We want to partner with everything the coming kingdom is going to be. We want to preview it and we want to witness to it now. Uh, 
So yeah. the ki- the future kingdom is every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? <laughs> yep. Under under God's gracious rule. So we worry about racism now. Yes. Right now, because we're not because we're woke or not because we're you know politically correct, but because we deeply, deeply believe in the image bearing equality of all human persons, and yes. the coming kingdom embodies that. Why should men and women? Why should we care about how women are treated in the church? Because in the in the garden, as in the coming kingdom, there will be um, no gender specific roles, right? Now I know this is highly controversial, but <laughs> I'm just going with it. Um, uh, but that's that's firmly what I think because uh, yeah, the Re- Revelation 21 and 22 echoes Genesis 1 and 2, and in Genesis 1 and 2 there were no the female was not subordinate in any way, shape, or form. So that's why we witness to that, right? Why do we care about creation? Because creation actually gets renewed. It's not destroyed. This isn't that Titanic. It gets renewed. Um, and, um, and, And so we're practicing our original vocation by caring for creation right now. We, this is what we were made to do was to care for creation, right? I mean, this is why these things matter. And so I, I don't know that the gospel can be divorced from that big story anymore. Now, Jesus yep. could sum it up by just saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. Yeah. Okay. Well, to the Hebrew mind, but even then they misunderstood what he meant, right? Yeah. Most of his teaching is like, no, 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 no. The kingdom comes through my suffering. And Paul could go through and announce the lordship of Jesus, and the building of ecclesias, the witness to his resurrection and the coming of his spirit. True, but those were misunderstood too. Yeah. Um, and and so, so, you know, when when we get to so so on the broad scale, I want to tell the big story: creation, fall, redemption, restoration. When it comes to well, how do you follow Jesus, and that's where I go with the marriage. Well, what does it mean to be married? Yeah. Right. One day. You, you are compelled by somebody, but you don't know them fully. Um, and one day you commit yourself to them, for better or worse. And it's in the context of that bedrock solid commitment, the grace of that commitment, that you begin unfolding what it means to be married, what it means to be a husband or a wife. And that, and you never get to just say, well, you know, we said yes 20 years ago. And so giddy up. Yeah, you you're know, transformed you by living in how to love your spouse yes, and you're transformed yes. in living how to be gracious and yep. how to serve in that way. Doing that every day changes you or yes. you don't and that marriage in most cases doesn't survive. Yes. You know what well, I love we... too is that that repent for the kingdom is here or whatever. Like that little phrase, like when you start to, unf- it's like a little origami, like you unfold it and it's like, okay, oh, well, what, what does Lord. repent mean? You reposture. What is the kingdom here? Well, we're learning about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is yeah. an active thing that you live in and act- operate in now. So it's like That's this right. whole, that little phrase that people throw around. It's like, well, yeah, you know, let's actually, talk about what the kingdom is and let's talk about how you reposture into that. And, you know, it unfolds yep. this whole huge thing. And the and there's the, this is why because we focused wrongly on the legal analogy, and have misunderstood grace, faith, and saved three words that are huge in Ephesians. That is why people will say, "Well, Jesus preached one gospel, and Paul preached a different gospel." Mm-hmm. But but that when you understand the 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 kingdom gospel Jesus preached, 
and you understand the covenant language Paul was using when he said saved grace faith, uh, you understand they're saying the same thing. And oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, into <laughs> the home back. studio. Back again. Yes. yes. Seth Erie. Yeah. Do you want to say hello, Internet? Good morning, Internet. Good morning, Internet. So, what, Seth, what do you got in your hands right now? I got this. I got this. He's pointing out a cup of Chick-fil-A lemonade. Ooh. Did you go to Chick-fil-A with your brother? Yeah. Yeah? Yes. Do you love the Chick-fil-A? Mm-hmm. Are you the best? Yes. Do you love your dad? I love Nate. You love Nate? Well, okay. <laughs> Miss, Who Miss took me to Chick-fil-A? Go, go, go. Who is this? Go, Nate Erie. Nate Erie, go call us. Nate Erie is going to go to college is what Seth Seth just announced, ladies and gentlemen. Nate it, is, Erie, it, it could benefit if you guys could see him, too, because he did a real pronouncement there with yeah, it was it was out. Yes, it was it was regal. It was. So I don't know. Um I don't know what we were talking about. But Seth is infinitely better than whatever that was. <laughs> um <laughs> So so the the trap here to just kind of wind it all up is to understand um the covenant language that says of course it's grace. I didn't earn salvation but i'm formed by it i live into it i live aligned with it right yeah i didn't earn my identity as a husband i took a i took a vow and i was pronounced boom and now that's the beginning of the journey and so um there are a lot there are lots of questions that go into this but the reason yeah. and the thing that the marriage analogy picks up that i love that my marriage isn't determined by the fact that once upon a time I was in a church and made promises. My marriage mm-hmm. is determined by what by my commitment to daily surrender myself to that yeah. identity yeah. It, within the context of grace and to commit myself in faith to uh, embodying the reality that I am married and that Justina is my wife and that our marriage depends on that continual surrender and renewal. No, it's really a great analogy. It doesn't start in the church that one morning that you make that commitment. Yes. It literally starts when you walk out the church doors. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's uh, that's ideally the picture of baptism. Yeah. See, that's what baptism is supposed to be. The renunciation of all other identities and the embracing of your new one. And as you walk mm. out the door, now now you're married. Now you're married to Jesus, to use, you know, really cliched language. Um <laughs> And of course, you're not going to be perfect. That's that's assumed in the covenant. Yeah, imperfection is assumed in that already. It's already taken into account. That's the point. My my wife knew she wasn't getting a perfect husband. Now she didn't. She didn't know how badly she'd been misinformed. <laughs> she wasn't aware of the levels of imperfection. But. <laughs> yes. So anyway. Um, so, so how is it that, that we be on guard against duplicity? Um, well, first, um, we embrace the message that Jesus actually preached, that how you live matters. Um, second, we, um, we have, and this can only be worked out in community, right? You, that you have people in life who know the duplicity. 
And my therapist here was really helpful to differentiate between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy means no one knows, which is bad. Privacy means the right people know, but not everyone else is entitled to know. Right. And uh, I thought that was really liberating because you know I, I always thought being vulnerable meant I work out I'm working all that out publicly, and uh, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Anymore. And so, anywho, um, but it's something that Jesus warns his followers to be vigilant against. And, and we can see why, right? We see where it goes. Absolutely. We see where it goes. And, and, and the good news in all of this, my friends, is God isn't interested in our pretending. He's not interested in your performing. He's not interested in your impressiveness. He just wants you, the ugly, filthy, cussing, that you that is petty and selfish and lustful, that's the you. That's the you that enters into the covenant. That one. That one right there. And you don't have to clean it up first. That's the point. What will damn you is trying to polish that thing up so God will be impressed. That's that's the irony of all of it. God (laughs) knows it already. It's already factored in. You don't have to pretend anymore. You just don't. And to actually believe that for someone like me, remember how, you know, Bonnie, we'd have these conversations with her. Like, it's terrifying to believe. Yeah. It's terrifying to believe until you really start screwing up and then you realize, oh, there's a floor. There's actually a floor here. Mm. And you're like, okay, all right, this feels real, you know? Yeah. So. Makes sense. Oh, so hard though. I just. It is so hard. It it does open so many doors and so many questions. (laughs) I have a bunch for another day. Well, we just want to go back to this point. Is it possible to commit your life to somebody and not have your life at all be challenged or changed? No. Exactly. So however you spell it out, that's what Jesus is doing. Yeah. If you're affirming, if you've believed a gospel that simply says you don't have to do a damn thing, in response to the grace you've been shown. It's not the gospel. Right? I mean, the new identity will show itself. That's Otherwise, there wouldn't be a test for fruit. If it was just, all you got to do is believe this, then why is fruit emphasized? Right, man. It just reframes the gospel in a really specific way, which is a, another conversation too, I feel like. But it's, it's very like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. <laughs> I'm sure I've I've committed heresy at least five times. I don't think so. I, I really think there's so much to it's this participatory thing. It's just everything we've been talking about for I feel like the last year plus has been on Yeah. Like reposturing and participating. The kingdom is here and now. It's the now and not yet. Like all of yep. that. Boundary focused, center focused, all of this all of this lends to the same idea. And the same, like, it's just that we just don't understand. We, it seems like we don't understand the kingdom or the gospel quite the way that Jesus was trying to yeah, parlay it. And the Bible yep. can be really difficult to understand. So, oh. you know, the participation is uh, so necessary to even translate. 
this yeah. information. It's just it's just a whole package of totally. It's a little I, Russian packing doll that you keep opening up one, then there's another one inside, and you're like oh, 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 and it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah, and that that's what's so great. That's yeah, what's so but great it really about. requires a participation. It really requires intent. Yeah, it really requires community, and it really requires you know. Yep. So much is very interesting. How do you want to, I mean, if you're going to learn to be, if you're going to learn to be a good golfer, what do you have to do? Yeah. Well, I was thinking of running earlier where it's like, I'm a runner, but I never leave the house. Right. But you just keep walking around and tell everybody like you buy the right shoes, you buy the right <laughs> running clothes. And you're like, I'm a runner. I'm a runner. I love to run, but I never actually run. Yeah. And, and, and that's, man, that's the thing is Jesus is just up there going, guys, I, I know it all. I know it. I see it better than you do. Right. And it's already taken care of. Just lay it down. You don't, you can rest. You can rest. Mm. That's a whole other thing too. Ooh, I know. I'm still working on that, man. I can say that, but boy, that's, that, that presses in on me because I really think I'm still performing. I have no idea what rest means. Yeah. 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 Not, not in the biblical way. No, I mean I can't even do it in the like just normal physical way. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that whole word, that whole idea is foreign to me. Yeah. Thanks, Benadryl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need some physical uh, and some spiritual Benadryl. Yes. Yes. Well, we got the we got the spiritual Benadryl, <laughs> right? That Jesus character. Um. Anyway. I know this raises tons of questions and I know I'm not super precise in my language because sometimes I'm trying to be hyperbolic to make a point. But um, I think that being sitting in the Sermon on the Mount and then sitting into all the ways Christians have tried to get around having, having us to not to take that seriously right all the all the ways christians have said it's okay this is this is not for us um i i just i i rebel against it and you read the gospels and it's just it's just not in there it's just not in there mm-hmm. and um so i think i think you know when when um the light of truth comes on that to me is the most compelling picture of what judgment is like because it's horrifying and comforting. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. Yeah. I got a bunch of questions about that too. Well, okay, what's well, one? <laughs> no, it'll unpack too much, but maybe we can do that. I I cuz I think the judgment stuff is so fascinating and I think that the hell stuff is so fascinating and the role that fire plays throughout all of the Bible is really yeah. fascinating and the way that God uses fire to cleanse and reveal and to speak is very fascinating and mm. it raises a ton of questions for me because um, I do think the idea of judgment here and now um, and that sin being its own reward and um, all that kind of stuff is really compelling and really interesting and mm-hmm. raises a lot of questions about how the language of being saved from something and always um, and clinging to that in that way of like say this prayer so that you're saved from this thing and that um you know it's like starting a fire and then trying to sell fire insurance to people and it's <laughs> i don't think that's what any of this is about but i think we present it that way kind of well sometimes like i just, I just started a fire in your backyard and i'm like hey listen yeah this this is going to take you yeah. over if you don't if you don't i gotta convince you 
Yes, I got to con- hear the Ten Commandments. Here's all the ways you've broken them. By and I've now, got good news. Or... Yeah, 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 yeah. And and obviously, I mean, I don't want to denigrate the fact that God's used that, right? He uses, if he can use a jackass like me, he can use anything. Um, he can use anything, but it really makes sense in this, in this conversation of the covenant and the participation in a, in a long conversation, not a... You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I yep. think we just like to use pointed jabs, and and this is so much bigger than that. Yeah, hopefully. Well, it feels it feels that way, Seems and that the way. more I study the text, it looks that way. Yeah, uh, of just and and the only way it makes sense is in a community you're yes. working this out together with. Yep. You know, and so, uh, anyway, well, friends. <laughs> Um, God bless us, everyone. Pod uh, bless us, everyone. Pod bless us. Pod bless us, everyone. That's it. You nailed it. I can't believe I forgot that one. Pod bless us, everyone. Oh, Pod bless us, everyone. Oh, I that I'm in. We'll text Brenda and say I don't care what you have. Pod bless us, everyone. All right. Well, my friend. Um, pod bless you and pod bless our <laughs> listeners. And, uh, as always, we're just super grateful for you and, and thankful, um, for all the ways we get to participate in community together and hope this, you know, our goal is to help reveal how beautiful Jesus is and to, um, provoke conversation. Cause we think that's where we do our best learning. So hopefully we've provoked and, uh, anyway, until next time, friends, stay safe. Uh, and maybe we'll have a president. It'll be awesome. Jesus for president. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.